this is what you need. This is how you'll get it. This is what it will cost you. And this is when we'll start. Nobody's going, well, how long's the surgery gonna last, Doc? Well, two and a half hours. Any chance you can get me out sooner? <laughs> Any chance we could do this in like an hour and 50? Why? Think about it, why? Authority, position and confidence, trust. This is the Paul Goff Audio Experience. Whether you call yourself a PT, a physical therapist, or a physiotherapist, and wherever you are listening to this right now, this is for you. It is me revealing everything I can to help make you a more successful business owner. Thanks for listening. It means the absolute world to me. Hey, Paul's peeps. It's Caitlin, your client success manager here in the U.S. office. I help the members of the Paul Goff community be successful using our products and services, and I'm excited to bring you this episode of the Paul Goff Audio Experience. We are about to release a new staff training series from Paul's Five Clinics and Five Days East Coast Book Signing Tour. Today, you will be tuning into the first part of Paul's staff training with Volk PT in Charlotte, North Carolina where the first hour is dominated by the topic of how you need to be filled with confidence and certainty if you want to improve your patient visit average or conversion rates. If you like this episode, do us a favor and leave us a review telling us how this podcast has helped you or just share it with someone who you know that needs to hear it. That's all I have for you today. Thank you and enjoy. Stumbled across his name, and that very week I was in a meeting that, that listening to somebody, and they said, Hey, we have a very special guest named Paul Goff. And I thought, All right. And they said, I got in touch with Paul, and they said, Hey, this is what I'm doing in my business. Would love if you can help me out. And he said, Well, let's slow down a couple things here and basically practice what he preached, sort of um, sold me on what, his, what he does, even though I was sold before. And he basically, um, I said, Well, here's where I'm at. What can I do? He goes, Well, do you run? newspaper ads. And I said, no. He goes, well, let me send you a couple newspaper ads to see what happens. So I ran a couple newspaper ads. He said, how'd they go? I said, well, I got called. He goes, well, what'd you do with them? I go, uh, I don't know what to do with them. I mean, I talked to him. He goes, do you have any type of follow-ups? I mean, everything that we do now, as far as marketing goes, um, comes from um, the influence that Paul's had on my life. And he's now um, living at least six months out of the year outside of Orlando and celebration. Uh, I live for uh, 40 weeks of the year here now. Four years? Kids, right. basically school, kids go to school here and then I go back to Britain. He when goes the back kids to Britain off. 12 weeks out of the year. He's here 40 weeks out of the year. Has a, um, a mastermind group that consists of how many of us? Two? Uh, about 150. About 150 PT owners from around the country. Two of which are sitting right here. Two more are coming in later um, from this area. Um, we have four meetings a year and I'm going to a mastermind meeting that's um, with Paul. Jake is um, his right-hand man lately. He'll be videotaping. He's, he'll be putting things he's the roadie. In face. He's a roadie. My, he's my entourage and tour manager. There you go. <laughs> he's very demanding. He was, he, he's very demanding. On the flight, it kicked off on the flight. When they said they've only got Pepsi instead of Coke, he wasn't happy. So he's definitely. Uh, <laughs> good morning, afternoon. So anyway, obviously you guys read Paul's book. That's one of three, four. Four. One of four books. He's got a hiring book. Got, he's got uh, a healthy living book, well. which good. Good to see. Very good. Obviously. And then the hiring, it, an accelerator, so patient accelerator. Yeah. Um, so he's been, he's becoming known around the world as an authority as far as um, running a PT business. 
and um, he owns a marketing company now. He owns a book publishing company. Kind of. A, kind of. Um, so he knows what he's doing when it comes to business. He is a master at um, the psychology of sales. As if, if you guys got into the book much, he knows why people say what they say, even though um, it doesn't sound right initially. Um, and I've started to trust the process. And um, in my cash practice and my online business, um, everything he says actually is true. It's kind of weird how that happens. But um, been a friend of mine for four and a half years. It's an honor to have him here. This is the first of a five-city tour, five cities in five days, um, for his book tour, as well as just getting to meet with other um, masterminders. He's going to different clinics over these next four days after this. So I count it a privilege to have him here. And um, so if we can just, number one, give him a round of applause for being here. Thank you. And number two, um, please just think of questions that um, you have as far as dealing with each other, dealing with patients, um, anything that you can think of business-wise, um, I wouldn't um, hesitate to ask because he will, he'll give it to you straight. He's got that British straightness. Um, so you might cringe a little bit at some of the words he says, <laughs> but he'll, he'll tone it down a little bit. Anyway, okay. Paul, All right. Thanks, great Dave. to have you here. Thank you very much. All right, thank you. Um, so it's more my privilege really to be here and I said on the flight this morning with uh, with Jake the idea that I could come and do this for anybody is something that I don't take uh, I don't take lightly and I, I don't take it for granted it's it really is a privilege to have anybody who wants to listen to anything that I've got to say if there's he said do you think anybody will come out and I said I don't really give a shit like if one person comes out and we have a good conversation with somebody and we can get in uh, to one clinic and we can make a difference and it's going to be um, it's going to be worthwhile so um, yeah, we've got two or three hours together and I think the first thing I, I'm going to point out to you, you don't realize how lucky you are to work for this guy. I, I mean it with the absolute from the bottom of my heart, like this, this is a real genuine man. Like the, the, you are the luckiest people alive to call this guy your, your boss. I, I'm very brutal with business, but only from a standards point of view as to what's required and what's good and what's bad. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not like a, a complete bastard and I'm not hopefully, uh, I'm not somebody who is uh, unfair in terms of you know, the way I speak or the way that I uh, will communicate or the way that I am with employees. I'm very disciplined and I'm very fair and I'm very consistent. And I've met a lot of people in business who are the complete opposite. They're very hot-headed, they're very disrespectful, they're very arrogant, they're very uh, disingenuous and, and really they do see their employees as employees, as people who make them money. And I'm, I'm three, the complete opposite of that. I genuinely love people and I, I love to be around people and I love to have people that I call friends and, and even my staff as family, people that I get to know, people I've watched have kids, people I've watched them get married, people I've watched them go through shit times, good times, bad times. That to me is one of the best being, uh, things about being a boss. And I promise you from working with hundreds of business owners, this is one of the best, that, that you will never ever meet a nicer man <coughs> who, who genuinely will want the best for you. And that's something that I would uh, encourage you to not take lightly. Sometimes you go out there in the big bad world and you see some absolute bastards of a, you know, of, of a boss who are not legit people and, and he's definitely one. So make the most of him is what I would say uh, to you all. So, so thanks for having us and it is, uh, it's great to be back. Four years ago I was here um, in the exact room and really what I'll teach you today, I'll talk about with you today, it won't have changed. It'll be the exact same issues. It'll be the exact same problems. 
my stories might change and my understanding of business and people might change. Um, I'm definitely now more entrenched in, in obviously the US system and how it works and what the challenges are, but I promise you it doesn't make any difference whether it's um, a, a UK business, an American business, an Australian business. Everybody likes to think that theirs is different, that, that somehow Concord is different from the rest of the world, and it, it isn't. We're all uh, uh, fundamentally irrational, if you like, in the way that we speak, the way we communicate, and the way that we talk. Um, that there might be opposing challenges. It's funny, a conversation I just had with Dean. So I was back in England um, to have a baby. We had our third child, and they were uh, talking about the, the risks if we had a fourth, if we wanted to have another baby, it would have to come by C-section. And they said, oh, we don't recommend that you have a fourth. Now in Britain, what immediately happens is we challenge it because we think they're trying to deny us something because it's free, right? So we're like, you just don't want to give us this because it's going to cost the system, right? Whereas like here in the US, it's like, you're just trying to get me to buy something because I have to pay for it. So it's, it's the, it, you might think that that's the opposite, and it is, it's diametrically opposed, but it comes from the same part of the brain ultimately as to how somebody sees the problem. It's irrational. It's, it's like there's no concrete proof or anything that we're assuming there in that conversation that I or we in Britain will say, well, you don't want us to have the fourth C-section because it's going to cost 25 grand to the public and the taxpayer. But here in the US, they might say, well, you force me to have a C-section because it's going to cost me an extra 20 grand. Following? And that's the shit that patients get into their head. Like that's, that's what we do, right? We come up with irrational things and irrational reasons for why we do what we do. And ultimately, um, that reflects in a business when you, see, when you start to see boards like that. That is the effect, right? What I would, cause the, I would call that the effect of something that did or did not happen in a clinic. Or deeper than that, it would be the effect of something that was allowed to happen and somebody allowed to think a certain way about the business, right? And that's ultimately what we're gonna get into today. I've decided to live in a world where everything's in my control, everything. No matter what the fuck happens to me, it is 100% my fault, 100% something that I usually didn't do, right? And that's the key point. Everybody will talk to me, and, and many of you today will say, well, we did this, and, and you might hear me say, I'm not really interested in what you did, I'm kind of interested in what you didn't do. Because most people in, in their life, most people particularly at work, what we do when we have a problem like that, we start to defend ourselves. So the problem there, the obvious one, is discovery visits. So what we'll do is we'll say, well, we did this, we did all of these things, and the patient just didn't want to book. And what we really need to do to get some progress is say, well, what didn't we do? What could we have done? And kind of start to take a little bit more ownership of the fact that we didn't meet some of these expectations. Communication just did not take place if that person did not want to go ahead with treatment. Now we can sit here and say it's money, we can sit here and say it's time, we can sit here and say it's a, it's a North Carolina thing, it's a Concord thing, it's a three generations of a family thing and they want to use their doctor and some PT somewhere else, right? We can come up with all of that, but it ain't going to get us anywhere. Does that make sense? So when I say I've decided to live in a world where I'm 100% in control of it, don't mean that I am, it just means that I try. I, I try to be and I try to take responsibility for everything that if I'm looking at any numbers, even back in my business, it's my fault because I hired the person or I didn't train them to, to do it. And what I've tried to do in my companies now is get people to think like that, not just here in their office, most importantly away from, from the office. Because really what, what we're trying to do all the time as, as bosses or employees is create a collection of people that grow as people that ultimately become better employees of a business 
for the greater good of the business, whether that be the patients, whether that be the staff, whether that be profit, whether that be whatever. We have to start there. So much of what I teach is about understanding yourself, understanding people, um, so that when a customer walks through the door or a client walks through the door, um, at least one person in the conversation has some clarity. Does that make sense? For a relationship to work, there only need be one person in that relationship who understands what the hell is actually going on. And it's a pivotal point if you understand it. You've often got in scenarios where, i.e. like a physical therapy business, somebody wants or says that they've got back pain and they want some treatment. They don't know how to communicate what they're really wanting. And what you've then got is a potential employee, whether that's front desk or PT, who doesn't understand how to interpret what they're really saying and therefore kind of goes along with the conversation. It, 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 go back to your own relationships, right? Every single problem that you'll have in the relationship really comes down to the fact that you can, couldn't communicate what you wanted to say, yes or no. You usually expected somebody, i.e. the husband, the wife, the partner, whatever, we usually expected them to understand what we wanted from them. Does that make sense? And how often do you get any progress when that type of situation happens? Come on in, girls. Have a seat. Um, how often do you get progress in a situation with your wife or your husband or your, your boyfriend or girlfriend where you can't quite communicate what you want to happen or how you want them to treat you as such, but we expect them to have been able to understand what we want? We don't very often get far with that type of conversation. And I think much of that, whether you're in a relationship, whether you're in a business relationship, whether you're talking to two employees together who are trying to get something done, whether you've got an employee talking to a, pa a patient, I think that's a lot of the problems that we've got is that we just don't know how to communicate at a level that we can actually be understood as to what our real needs are. And whenever you see your board, whatever the, whatever the numbers are, whether it's good or whether it's bad, the cause of it will be how well we were able to communicate with somebody that um, you know, we understand their needs and we understand ultimately what they're trying to get from us. And that is what we're gonna try and dig into today. Um, I do this every week when I'm back in England and it was something that I started about four or five years ago and it was just the best, the, the best thing I've ever put into the business. It's certainly the thing that I love the most doing. Um, and I think it's, after a while, became the thing that the staff love the most because you're genuinely trying to shed some light on situations, on reasons that patients irrationally just say no. They, they arrive and they'll say yes. They'll, how many times have you had it? Where a patient says, yeah, I'll book out a plan of 10 and they're happy and they're delirious and they think you've done a wonderful job. And then a week later, they're like, oh, I need to cancel all my sessions. It's like, what the hell just happened? How? how? What, what went on there? What, you know, what went wrong? Sadly, most people will accept that it, oh, it was a time thing, it was a, or they had no money thing, or they went back and reviewed their finances or whatever it will be. Um, and, and the reality of it is that, I don't know if you've read the book yet, but a lot of it will be distrust, a lot of, a lot of it will be I lost sight of the outcome, a lot of it will be I don't think I was understood, I don't think I communicated with you well enough for you to understand me, I don't think that if I give you my money, I'm going to get the outcome. It's not that I haven't got the money. It's that if I give it you, I might not get an outcome for it. That if I spend that $1,000 with Amazon tonight, I'll have a TV in the morning. It's the certainty, ultimately, of what the customer is going to get. 
that dictates how likely they are to want to spend their money with you and not just their money. For many, it'll actually be a time thing that they won't want to give up or commit to something if it doesn't have a guaranteed outcome at the other end. So I'm gonna try and lift you up from that, from a, um, a very surface level conversation to truly understanding what might be, what could be, and all I'm gonna ask is that you remain open to the possibility that there could be another reason for somebody saying no, for somebody who says, I've got no money, for somebody who says, I haven't got the time. And as I said in the book, one of the problems with being a healthcare professional is that you, you get put on such a high pedestal and it's often a case that we don't want to find out that it's actually us that they don't want. So when a patient says money or it's time, your brain actually has a reason to validate what's just gone on that doesn't involve you. Does that make sense? So you'll, you'll naturally have an instinct that if I said to you, I really, really like you, I just don't have the money. Your brain doesn't want to find out that actually it is you and you haven't communicated in such a way that I want to give you the money. So it's much easier for me to say, okay, I won't challenge you. I won't even consider asking you another question. I'll just put down on this form that you said you had no money and therefore you didn't want to come back in. My ego's intact. My skills are protected. My uh, authority is not challenged and I'm still as successful as I was this morning because I never had to find out that ultimately what you didn't want was me. You'll, you'll tell me it's money, you'll tell me it's time, you'll tell me it's your husband or your wife who doesn't want to pay the bill. But really, it could be that I didn't do something or say something to help you over that hump or to help you reroute the money or reroute the time or just go to bed at night thinking, you know what, I'm happy to give this company my money because I'm 100% certain that I'm gonna get the outcome. And if you look at that, um, the DV conversion, right, 33 to 90. So I'd be looking at that going, all right, the 60 odd percent who said no, or the 33% said yes, the 60% said no. What did we do? What did we do to the 60% who said yes? How did we make them feel? What, what was the difference? What was the reason ultimately that they bought from us? And it'll go back to trust and certainty that they had something, they felt something when they walked out of here that made them believe for themselves that they were happy to spend however much money um, with you rather than spending it somewhere else. The reality of, of the situation with most people, I try not to get involved emotionally at the finance level with anybody because I think it's disrespectful for me to consider somebody's finances when it, when it comes to health. It just is and if you think of it like that, many PTs often prescribe a plan of care based upon the potential level of income that somebody might have. Dangerous game, I believe. Very, very dangerous game, because where, where are you pulling your assumption from? The way I look? Scruffy trainers I'm wearing, or the cap that I might wear back to front might have you believe that I don't have any money. You'll dilute my plan of care, or at the very first sign of me saying, oh, I, I don't know about this thing, you'll start to put two and two together and get five that I can't afford your services based upon how I look, or where I might live, or what zip code I come from, or it's wrong. It's just, it's completely wrong. So the only option is to eradicate it completely. I, I believe, and this is just the way I, I think, that the best thing I can do for, for you is give you what you need and let you decide whether or not ultimately you want to um, 
whether you want to pay for it. So I try to come at that level all the time, that I don't get involved in finances. It's not for me to decide what you want to do. This is what you need. This is how we'll achieve the thing that we're going to get. You tell me whether or not you want to pay for it. And, and it's more uh, of that angle I come from. And usually what you find is when you do speak like that to a patient, they actually buy into the other thing that I spoke about in the book, which is certainty. If I analyzed the interactions there that broke down, I'd probably find the reason, real, real, real reason, was that I didn't feel certain in getting the outcome that you, that you were promising. You tentatively believed it, you kind of looked me in the eye and you kind of said it was going to be all right and you said it might take three or four sessions and it could take a couple of weeks rather than saying, look, this is the deal, John. 11 sessions, three a week, this is how it's going to work. You will get this. I'm 99% certain in it. If at any point I change my mind, I'll let you know. Which is in stark contrast to how most people speak to a patient, which is usually, well, let's have a few sessions and it could take 10 and, or it might take 11, but if I can get you done earlier, I'll get you out of here. And subconsciously, you're considering money anytime you say things like that. If I can get you out of here any faster, if we can get this done quicker, I will. And we're not speaking directly there about the money, but really that's what, that's what we know we're doing. We're trying to ease somebody's uh, commitment to it in terms of their time and money that could be actually at the detriment of the certainty that they, they believe in you. Am I making sense so far? That everything's in your control. How you make me feel in here today is 100% in your control. How I make you feel is in whose control? Mine. Mine. Completely mine. If I sat here and I didn't look confident and I couldn't look any of you in the eye and I couldn't hold eye contact with you as I speak to you, how would you feel about me? You might feel like you've done something wrong or you might start to think, you know what, I don't think this guy is as confident in himself as to what he's saying. Which is where most of it comes from. The patient will pick up on about 93% of your body language as to whether or not they're buying from you. Just, it's just a fact. It's a fact of, of anything that you buy and anything that you buy uh, from somebody in this type of scenario, it's nearly always based upon how confident you looked when you sold it. This happened in my clinic today. Tell me. Uh, we had a patient come in with, a, with an ulnar nerve injury, and the protocol you guys know is, is pretty slow, and it's kind of monotonous. And my OT was working with him, and she looks as unconfident as you could have. She's also one who I was going to talk about high cancellation rates and stuff like that. She says no confidence in her ability, but she says she does, and she thinks that she can do anything a PT can do. But in having a conversation with the, the client, his response during the treatment was, all right, this is a complete waste of my time. Why do I need to be here? I'm told I have to be here for 12 weeks, but I don't think I should be here for 12 weeks. <coughs> Her response is instead of this is the protocol and this is what we have to do, it may be watching paint dry, but this is what we have to do because that's the nature of the process, that's the rehab process, and how to actually explain what's going on and why we need to do it this way. Her response was, Well, let me find out what we need to do and maybe I can get you out of here sooner. <laughs> you know? And so she comes to me and asks and presents the situation to me with. <coughs> hey, this guy wants to be out of here, he's got 12 weeks of this, but this is what the protocol says, so are we supposed to keep treating him, or what are we supposed to do him? Yeah, the guy's got an injury, we have to help him get better. This is what we do, that's the protocol. And I can tell, 
I know for a fact is that she has absolutely no confidence in what she does. She has absolutely no confidence in the rehab process. Doesn't know if something's gonna get better or not. She's a new grad. Um, and so her feeling of the current situation was 100% communicated to her from the patient. You don't believe in it, why do I believe in it? Correct. You don't think it's gonna work, why do I think it's gonna work? Yeah. Should I, do I even need to be here? It's a waste of my time, it's a waste of your time. Why don't we just go our separate ways and everybody be happy? So. You'll, you'll find, if you compare a conversation with, a, let's say, a specialist, right, a heart surgeon or a knee surgeon or a spinal surgeon, you go watch them. You go watch them, and the way that they speak to patients is stunning, right? Is there any niceties? This is what you need. This is how you'll get it. This is what it will cost you, and this is when we'll start. Nobody's going... How long is the surgery going to last, Doc? Well, two and a half hours. Any chance you can get me out sooner? <laughs> Any chance we could do this in like an hour and 50? Why? Think about it. Why? Authority, position, and confidence. Trust. When I went to, um, my background was initially in football, professional soccer back in England, and one of the first doctors that I started to learn from one of the things that mesmerized me was how confidently he told somebody he didn't know an answer. And it never, ever left me. It was probably one of the most pivotal days of my life for just living with a certain amount of confidence and certainty that, that I think has stood me very, very well. And so bearing in mind, I was in professional soccer. So this is guys like multi-million dollar soccer players, right, earning big money. And if they played on a Saturday, you're talking five, 10 grand appearance fees, right? There's serious money on the line. So they'd get injured, they'd have a hernia or a, an ACL or whatever it would be, or a, or a meniscal tear, right? So I'd take, them, uh, take the players to see the doc. And the players, the first question is like, when am I back on the field, doc? Like, when will I be back on the field? Because they're running numbers in their head. They've got their cars, mortgage, you know, they've got the mortgage and their cars, finance, six cars on the drive, kids in private school and all sorts of shit. Bills coming out of their ass. No matter how much money they earned, never had any. Like, so they needed to be back on the, on the, on the field. So every time we'd go in, it, it was always the first question, when will I be back on the field? And, and he'd many times just go, I have absolutely no idea, John. And the players would be like, what? Like, you're not supposed to say that. Like, you're supposed to give me some bullshit. Like, ah, six to eight weeks. And, he, and he'd just go, I have no idea. But when I do, I'll let you know. And I was just like, oh, that is just so good, right? And I'm like 23, 24 at this point. And I pulled him on it after it. And I said, like, how, how do you get away with that? Like, how do you do that? Like, nobody's supposed to do that. Like, I, I haven't been, I've been, like, allowed to believe that what you say to a patient is something that they want to hear. He said, no, no, I tell them what, like, they need to hear from the get-go. It's the only way I can get their trust. And the fact that I tell them I don't know from that, and he said, half the time I do know, and I know exactly it'll be, like, Wednesday the 17th, you'll be back on the field. He said, but much of what I do to get their respect in me is confidently tell them I don't know, but the minute I do know, I'll let you know. Where do you want this to go? And it's kind of that, it's that type of authority, it's that type of confidence that if you look at, I, I think personally, the PT profession, we don't have that. We are very much trying to be liked. We have a patient that comes through these doors and we feel almost like a moral obligation to want to kind of like them and love them and cuddle them and be nice to them. And we think it's in the name of doing the best thing for them, but for most of them it isn't. Because we're doing, we're doing something that actually is for us and it makes us feel good because we're nice to a client and we can say, well, I'll get you out of here as fast as possible. 
And it's like, well, the reality is, John, I don't want to be out of here as fast as possible. You just haven't spoken to me in a way that I understand why the hell I need to be here for 12. And that's all I'm asking you to do. I'm screaming at you, screaming at you to tell me again in a different way what the hell all this is about. But back to what I said at the start of, of the little talk today, we've got two people butting heads there. He doesn't know how to explain that. He just desperately wants to know what the fuck is all this about? Somebody just sit me down and tell me what the hell I've signed up for here. Because however you've spoken to me right now, I don't get it. I really don't get it. And I, because I've got an ego, right? And this is, an, I'm talking as the patient. I'm not as a patient going to sit down and go, John, that all went over my fucking head. I'm absolutely clueless in all of this stuff. I have no idea what the hell you've just spoken to me. I'm a complete dunce. And I have no idea what the hell you've just said. How many people on planet Earth do you think live like that? None, right, is the word, right? Because they've got egos just like you, just like I have. What they'll do is they'll sit there and go, John, amazing. Did, and you'll go, did you get that, Paul? And you'll go, uh, I'll go, yeah, totally, John, all in. I'm in, where do I sign, right? I'm in, got every word of that, John. And you're going, wow, this guy's smart. Like, he gets all this shit as well. Like, he must have done some studying online, right? All this stuff's going through your brain, right? While you're speaking about sciatica and all your nerves and your fucking different things that we all, uh, this L4L5, and oh yeah, I, I've read up on this L4L5, and you're going, yep, this guy's smart, like he's a real smart cookie. And at some point, this guy's going, I ain't got a fucking clue what John's going on about here. But now I'm too far in, and I'm gonna have to play along with this for a few more weeks and see if I can like bluff this thing through. And then after a while, the dissonance builds, and it's a scientific thing, the dissonance builds, and like six or seven weeks in, he's like, holy shit. Like, I have absolutely no idea what the hell is going on here. And my, my time in this company needs to end because I don't feel like I'm going to get a certain outcome. So that needed to have stopped. It needs to go back to, the, to the, you know, the certainty and the confidence to go, sit down. What do you want? Do you want to be out of here as fast as possible or do you want the right outcome? Rather than, yeah, yeah, I'll get you out. The girl who does that, right, and I've seen it in my office, and it still will go on, it'll still go on to the state. It, and everybody needs to be reminded that they're doing it. Ultimately, we're all doing it for approval. Yeah. No, she desperately wants to be liked. We all, we all do, and this is the point. This is what I'm trying to raise to you before we even get into all of this shit. Like, this is easy. Until you understand all of this, and understand that most of your behaviors are naturally, and mine included, coming from a place where you want to be liked and loved. You want to be liked by everybody rather than respected. That doc didn't give a shit whether that player liked them or not. It's like, I, I don't care, like, I'll be here tomorrow, I'll pick up my wages and I'm doing, my good, like, I'm doing my job. I don't need this person to like me. What I want you to do is respect me. And that's a big, 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 big difference. And, it, and, and when I kind of continued the conversation with him, I realized it wasn't what he was saying that the patient was after, it was how he was saying it. So if he'd have said to that, to that uh, footballer that day, so I'm the footballer and, I, and I've torn my ACL, I'm like, Doc, when, when will I be back? Right, look, I've got kids, I've got a mortgage, I've got three cars on finance, you know, I, I've got a huge loan to pay, I need to know when I'm back. If he'd have said, um, well, um, um, uh, oh, oh, I'm not quite sure, but I'll, I'll let you know. At that point, it's game over, lost, right, completely gone. Because he looked him dead in the eye and said, do you know what, I have absolutely no clue, but I'll let you know as soon as I do. He didn't know, how, the patient, the, the, the player didn't know how to deal with that. And he's like, oh. And, and the more I read up on it years later and I understood it, he didn't actually hear what was said. This is the science. He didn't hear what was said. He just saw and heard how it was. And he saw somebody who looked him dead in the eye and said, 
I don't know. But when I do, I will tell you. In a way that he could believe in and trust. From that moment on, in 0.2 seconds, the trust of that doc is out. Done. And every point now, when the player then would say, oh, is this going to work? The doc would say, yeah, yeah, absolutely. The player would go, well, all right, I, I, I believe this. Because when I asked him a question last time, he didn't know he told me. But he told me to the point of, it was the how and the way in which it was said that made me as a patient, made me as the player, if you like, want to believe in you more. And I, I put it to you all, if, if again, at the start of this, I referenced today that I live in a world that everything's in my control, everything's my fault, everything shit is my fault, everything good's my fault. Like, like there's, nothing, there's nothing that can get in the way of that. And if you start to look at your actions with patients and you start to look at your conversations, that's where many of us are actually breaking down. That I want you to like me and I want you to, to kind of, oh, you know, nice to see you and oh, get me out of here as fast as possible and oh, if you can do it in three, that would be great. And it's like, oh, this is nice. If I went into Walgreens and said, hey, just take a few of the, the, the you know, things out of this prescription the docs just give me, I don't really want to pay for them all, what would happen? If I try to modify a, a prescription and I'm working in, in a pharmacy, I'm going to jail. And, and look, this is not a similar, uh, it's not as serious if you like, but it possibly could be taken that way, that ultimately every time we try and modify a prescription, which is what we do, if we don't, this is what you need. This is the way it is. It's up to you, take it or leave it. Rather than the opposite, which we think we're helping them, you're actually creating a level of uncertainty <coughs> that causes them not to want to come back. All of the study I've done, all of the clinics I've been in, that is the overarching common reason for numbers that don't appear to be the way that you want them to be on this. And, and it is why you often scratch your head. You're like, well, we followed Dean's script and, and like we, we did everything and we were all really nice to him. And you know, we just can't understand why we give him loads of love and we even made him a glass of water and we got him a cup of coffee and he still didn't want to come back. It really doesn't have anything to do with all of those things. It's, if I look at you, do I believe that you believe I'll get what I'm about to pay for? And if I don't, lights are out. It's just the beginning of the end. And that's ultimately what you have to, as a, as a company, as a team, uh, as people, that's what I think, and I'm not gonna tell you what to do. I'm just gonna tell you what works for me, what's worked for my staff, what now works for hundreds of clinics that I work with. That is what I think that, that really you have to aspire to be as a, as a unit, as a team, that you're all working together, not to be liked, but to be respected with patients. And when you start to live like that, back to, again, the, the, the beginning of the talk, it's really about who you become as people, I think. Um, owning a business gives you a chance to become somebody and, and being employed by a business actually gives you a chance to become somebody. It gives you a chance to learn more, it gives you a chance to understand yourself better. Because I promise you, and you'll not believe me at this point yet, you will not believe me, but if you continue it after today, the exact same problems that you're getting with patients, I, on everything I've got, if I followed you for a week, I'll find it with your friends and I'll find it with your husbands, wives or partners. The exact same butting of heads when I just can't get somebody to do something. No matter how hard I try, how nice I am, how much I, I give if you like, I don't seem to get this thing coming back. And fundamentally it all comes from my need to be liked, approved, loved, don't want to be rejected. So I'll just gloss over the whole thing and ultimately put it down to money and time and excuses of so-and-so's nature that that ultimately is what we find in in um in clinics any questions so far making sense teach you any of this in school yeah. there's the problem you don't 
You don't get taught this. And I'm not, I, I hope from what you take from me today, I'm not coming here today to try and teach you as, as staff. I'm just gonna to talk to you as people. Take it or leave it, and I, and I don't give a shit whether you agree with it or you don't, whether you like it, whether you think fucking this guy's full of shit. I couldn't give a flying fuck. It's stuff that I've read and studied for years and years and years and years and implemented in my own life to see some level of increased enjoyment in it because I'm now significantly more aware of conversations I'm having with people that seems to end significantly better these days than it used to do years ago. And that's where I would encourage you to start to take some of what I might hopefully be able to pass on to you today that it isn't just about you as employees, it's actually about you as people trying to understand um, the people that you're talking to at home or the you know, husbands, wives, partners, relationships that you've got, that you bring that level of understanding to your patients and um, you'll have completely different outcomes, completely different relationships with people who are on the face of it having problems because of money, because of, uh, oh, we haven't got time or I want to see a chiropractor, I want, to, I want to do whatever. It's not really that, you know, that way inclined. So that's where I think um, we should start. And then I'm happy to, to kind of just take any questions that you guys have got with a you know, re review of scenarios, patients, case studies, talk through obvious ones there. If I was coming into this business and I owned it, I would do nothing this week except fix discovery visits. What, what's going wrong? So as much of what I would like to try and pass on to you is about helping you as people see different conversations and just how to get, you know, how to get uh, an improved awareness, if you like, of some of these scenarios that you might go through. It's also around trying to help you if you're going to do this every week. And if you did, I promise you, if you commit to it, your awareness and your understanding of people will, will increase and, and your confidence when people come through the doors will be will just be felt. I would always start with something like that, that gives you a, this is where we're at as a business right now. So Volk PT right now, that's where we're at. That's the score. How many of you are NFL fans or, or you like your, your, your game, right? What would, what would it be like going to the game if you didn't know the score? I didn't know the score. Won't be that far. Actually, for you, it would probably be a lot better. Depending, yeah. <laughs> what team is it like? If you were a manager of that team and you didn't know the score, what chance have you got of improving? No. There you go. Everything has to start with that. The problem for many is that we don't like accountability and we don't like seeing actually where we're at because it's painful at first and sometimes you're like, oh shit, discovery visits, right? So whoever did those four discovery visits is thinking, oh shit, I'm, I'm like, I'm in trouble here or like I'm gonna get somebody asking some questions of me and it's like, yeah, damn right are you? But in a good way, if you choose to look at it that way, it's like, great, what an opportunity to learn. What a wonderful opportunity that somebody's gonna spend an hour of me. This is what I used to say to my staff, right, when we first did all of this. When we first started putting it in, there was a few, oh, I don't like this and oh, this is, I'm like, what? What, what, bit, what bit of somebody coming in trying to help you understand your job and yourself better do you not like? What, how have you got so fucking twisted at this point in your life? Tell me who else, at any point in your life right now, whatever age you are, even considers wanting to help you understand it a little bit better. And a few of them are like, you know what, I've never thought of it like that. I'm like, I know, that's what I'm here to do, to help you see things 
very, very differently. That I'm not here to pick on you, I'm here to help you. It was my message to the staff. Who in your life will dedicate three hours every week to sitting down and going, let me help you. You're doing these patients? How frustrating must it be when Mr. Smith walks out the door and you know you can help her? How? Piss you off? You know full well that somebody's gonna walk out of there with back pain and suffer it for another five months or 10 years or whatever they'll live with it. You must want some help to figure that out. Well, how, how can I get a little bit better at that? And that's the way I positioned it to my staff. Nobody's here to criticize, nobody's here to, 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 to pull anybody apart. This is a debate about what we're doing and what we're not doing. And ultimately we can get a little bit better at it each week. And if we get 1% better every week, what a difference this business will be in six months or 12 months. But ultimately it starts with ownership of this is where we're at. This is where the, whoever it is, the Steelers are right now. We're, we're this bad to get to where we want to get to. This is what we're going to have to, this is what we're going to have to do. So if I was coming in, I'd be saying, all right, um, to improve the business, the total visits, right? So what, what you tend to find in a business is a, is a business owner will go, right, we're at 133, we need to get 160, sort it out. Right, that's traditionally what, what a business owner's rant is. We, we need an extra 25 visits off you all, uh, sort it out, I need to see an improvement by this time next week. But what we do there is we start to look at it and go, okay, how can we get an extra 27 visits? How can we get an extra 27 visits? All right. Well, what if the DV conversion went up to 80% and that gives us an extra two or three visits, two or three, two or three names on the evals target? Well, if we know that every patient has 10 sessions, we've just found 30 visits. So that's the plan. So therefore, as a team, what we have to do is get together and go, how do we increase our conversions? The first thing I'd actually be saying is, who can get back on the phone to the three who said no? Who can get back on the phone to the three who said no and didn't convert and invite them down for something else? Position it in a different way. Position a different therapist. Position it as somebody who was off for two weeks, who's the specialist in the thing that they've got and try and get them back. That's where I would go immediately in this business. If I was coming in and I wanted to see a bump. Get me the names of the three people who said no. Talk me through their case studies. Where did they come from? Who was their doctor? What was their problem? What did they say? Why did they object? What, what BS did they give you about money and time and various things? And then ultimately, how can we change that when we pick up the phone? So if, if I was coming in and Vicky was sat there, I'd be like, okay, Vicky, these three people, they're on a list now, I need you to go get them back. Can you get two out of three of them back from me by positioning something different, positioning a different therapist who might communicate with them differently, position them as an expert in their problem, whatever it will be, and I'd start there. But then I'd start to break down why, it, you know, why did the discovery visit go wrong? Which for most of them, the discovery visit goes wrong before the discovery visit happened. That makes sense? The, the initial thing that they come for if you think about, if, I, if I'm a patient of yours, right, and I come through your, your door and I'm seeing you, I have an expectation of what I think should happen. I have an expectation of what I think will happen, and I have an expectation of what I think it's gonna cost and what my commitment to all of this is to get what I want to happen. If I say no to you, what's happened? Then meet the expectations. That's it, that's it. Somebody didn't meet my expectations enough. Now the problem is because I can't communicate it to you what my real expectation is, I can just feel it. The only thing that I can tell you is that I didn't like the price or I don't like the commitment. I don't wanna travel 25 minutes through traffic to get here. If we let it, that's what'll ruin a clinic. What we can change before somebody arrives, ultimately, 
whether that's in the marketing, whether that's on the phone, whether that's in the waiting room, whether that's in even slowing the discovery visit down and inviting them for a second one, is to give them a little bit more time to make a decision. And if you look at it, and I'd love to see the three case studies, there'll be some commonality in the speed at which they arrived, who they arrived from, um, what was said about you before they got here, how they found you, the length of time from making a decision to wanting PT to getting PT, that usually the faster, the more likely they are to say no, because they come uh, completely unprepared to say yes to whatever it is that you're, you know, you're speaking to them about, basically. So I'd be wanting to analyze those things, knowing that if my discovery visits are down, the patient's expectations of what they were gonna get when weren't met. Now, why was that? Did they arrive thinking, I just want pain relief? And you started to speak about exercises and treatment on bikes and therabands and all these things. And it was like, some, some people could say no to you before even getting in the discovery visits because they've seen certain things in the clinic. Backed, instantly. If I've walked through that door and I've opened the door and I've seen a lot of exercise bikes and I've seen some therabands and I've seen some people doing these exercises and I have a mental picture of what I think physical therapy is and you don't know what that picture is and you let me believe that this is physical therapy, I'm saying no to you at that point. No matter who you were, how nice you were, how wonderful you were, how qualified you were, how great you were, you or you, I had a mental picture of what I expected to get that you didn't turn around. It's failing, yeah, it's failing, it's failing to figure out what my version of physical therapy looks like. Not, not yours, mine. It's all that matters. That ultimately, all that ever matters is what they want and ultimately how they want to achieve it. And that's where you have to get better in the discovery visit at ascertaining what that is for me. And if we don't, that, that number will continue to exist. Now, I've given you one example there of how irrational it is when people say no, or, or not irrational. How many other reasons there are for somebody to say no to you other than money? That the typical person wouldn't come through the door and go, oh no, no, this is not what I'd expect. I don't like the look of those bikes and those therabands and whatever else. It's mentally they're thinking, well, I went somewhere 10 years ago who put me on those things and it just didn't work and that's not what I'm looking for. I'm wanting this, this or this and that was never addressed or communicated to me that you could actually provide that type of thing. And if you'd have changed my opinion or view of the world in that session, I'd have been much more likely to say <laughs> yes to you. The questions always give you the answers. And it's taken the time to get those questions. Shut up and listen, like I said in the book, we talk far too much in these evaluations. Why do we talk too much? Any idea? I want to be liked. I like the sound of my own voice. And I feel, if you, if you watch what happens when a patient comes in, if you start talking more than them, you're wanting to impress them, to be liked by them. All of this is subconscious. All of this is such at a level that you don't even realize it's going on. But the patient's only way of feeling comfortable is to do what you're trying to do. Talk. Think about it. Oh, God, it's, what a dick. 
this is going to be a hard day for me, right? Because I'm going to spend three and a half hours speaking. It's the only period of time in my life where I have to speak when I do these things. Ordinarily, I spend the rest of my life asking a question and then just going, yep or no. That's all I want to do because it's fucking hard work speaking all day. Right? I've realized that a long time ago. I get significantly more success with Natalie if I ask her, so my, my partner. If I talk about my day all the time, it's tiring, it's boring, and I'm, I'm just not getting anywhere with her. But if I show more interest in her life than I have in my life, we seem to have a significantly better relationship. It just took me about 10 years to figure that out. <laughs> Same with patients. That if I show more interest in your life than about my life, we end up having a much better relationship. And if you watch what we do, a lot of it is in that first two, three, we talk a lot. We, we speak almost too much. The minute there's an awkward silence, even if it's like 0.5 of a second, we have an answer ready to jump in and, and kind of fill the silence. And often all patients are doing is thinking. They're literally just trying to formulate an answer. If you let somebody speak, if you ever do this with your friends, right, this will make you laugh tonight. Next time you go out with your friends, your girlfriends or your guys, or even just your, your partners at home, when you're in a conversation, just stop, right? And just, just refuse to talk and watch what happens. They'll just talk so much shit, it's beyond belief. They'll just keep speaking and speaking and you just go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they'll just keep going. Like people love to just keep talking. And we do it a lot in our consultations. We do it a lot when we speak to patients. And really what, what we need to do is let them speak so that we can find out what they want and position our plans and programs against it. So silence is golden in, um, in, in, in any situation with, with uh, patients. Questions are ultimately your gateway. We'll talk about them today. What questions can we ask better? Uh, so that ultimately we can, we can find out more about people. But what, what also happens, if somebody starts talking to you more, they feel comfortable with you very, very quickly. You don't feel comfortable with me right now because I'm speaking. Right, you're still on edge, you're still like, oh shit, who is this guy, and I'm not quite sure, right? But if I let you speak for an hour, you'd be like, I'm really comfortable around this guy. Yes or no? If I went on a date, right, how do, how do, why do dates go bad? By and large, because the guy or the girl just speaks about themselves, yes or no? So then you'll go, oh, I don't like this guy, he just speaks about himself. But really what you're saying is, I didn't feel comfortable because I didn't get a chance to speak about myself. It's fucked up, like everything. Is, is, is like completely twisted as to what we say the problem is. I don't like the guy because he speaks about himself. Really what I'm saying is I'm pissed because I didn't get a chance to speak about myself. So I'm chastising him for speaking for an hour and all I wanted to do was the fucking same thing that I'm speaking to him about. I'm, I'm, I'm killing him for. Following? Same with patients. But the guy's doing it because he's uncomfortable as shit with himself and with silence. Uh, most... PTs are doing it because we're uncomfortable with ourselves, with silence. If we walk in, how are you? Tell me more. What else? Anything else I need to know? And what else? It, it, it feels like I'm being awkward. But the patient absolutely loves it. It's like, what, I get a chance to speak about myself for an hour? And I can just whinge all about my pain and all about my problems and all you're going to do is agree? and say that you understand and nod your head. It's like, I like this girl, I like this guy, this is different. Because the guy I'm speaking to at home, he don't want to listen to me. He tells me to shut up right now. Yes or no? Typical person that walks in here, how old? 45, 50? 50 year old, 50 year old Bill, right? Walks through, the, I mean, I, I'll use my own example. If I have a problem with back, neck, whatever, right? And I walk in, 
within fucking two minutes of whinging, no, oh, shut up. Shut up, you, you've got man flu or you've got whatever. Or you, like, she shuts me down before I even get a chance to like, I'm really in pain here. It's like, no, this time I mean it. Like, I'm really in pain this time. She shuts me down. She doesn't want to hear it. And likewise, I probably do it with her. I do do it with her. It's like, shut up. I don't want to hear it, right? So for the first time, if I come into your world, just let me win. She's like, let, let me speak. Let me talk. Just ask me questions that let me for 20 minutes, 25 minutes, tell you all about my problem before you even begin to talk to me about, about you or who you are, which is contrary to what we are taught to build rapport. We're taught, oh, tell them about yourself and you know, being you know, interesting and various different things. So many different ways to get somebody to feel comfortable with you that ultimately leads to them wanting to say yes versus um, no, whether it's the questions we ask, the eye contact, the body language, the tone of our voice, the confidence with which we say we don't know something. Particularly young, it's funny, there'll be an episode of my YouTube channel in a few weeks all about we've just hired a brand new physio in the clinic and she looks really young, like really young. 24 she is, but she looks like luckiest, I went, you lucky bitch, like, you, you know, like 16, she looks 16, 17, she looks just so youthful, it's like beyond belief. But that's the problem, is that 55-year-old Mary would be like, oh, instantly, like, does this girl know what she's doing? She has no other reason to think that she does or doesn't know what she's doing than the perceived look of youth. And that's a problem. Like, that's something that we're going to have to deal with. So we spent an entire two hours talking about how we can help a brand new, inexperienced, very youthful looking physio to be accepted and, and kind of wanted to be uh, seen by, by physios when we, or by patients when we've got people in their mid-30s who immediately look more superior or more experienced. Now, I'm not saying they are. I'm just saying that that's how most people, how most people look. And Vicky, um, Vicky sits at my front desk she said, like a couple of patients had actually said, oh, is she qualified? Is she, you know, she looks really young. And Vicky's like, well, what do I say? And my response was literally, I know, what a lucky bitch. How young does she look? She looks great. She's amazing. You know, can you believe that, like, she, she looks that young and she's 24? Like, how great would it to be to have that youthful look again? Right? And, and Vicky's like, yeah, like, if you said that to a patient, right, it immediately, like, takes the conversation away from the negative towards something completely different. And what we didn't do was try to go, or what we won't do is try to go, oh, but it, it, you'll be fine, right? Oh, don't worry, she's great, she's qualified. Like, you're not gonna win that, you've already lost. So what we had to do was come back with something very differently. And I'm not saying they're gonna go lucky bitch, but they're gonna go, God, imagine being that young again and looking that great at that age. Like Vicky's in her 30s and I can picture the conversation with a lady in her 40s, 50s or 60s, them two going at each other basically going, God, you lucky king, like, B-I-T-C-H, that like, you look this good. Like, and, and we've completely changed the conversation. But we did what the doctor did, which was, I don't know, but when I do, I'll tell you. We're embracing the fact that there might be an objection here, but we're meeting it with certainty, with confidence, and the way that it's said is actually more important than what is said. And there's a number of different ways that you can create if you like that level of certainty and that level of trust, no matter how young people, you know, how people uh, are perceived or look, what matters is that you're aware of it, is the most important thing. So anyway, that's enough for me. What do you want to talk about? Give me some scenarios, questions. Everybody with me so far? Everybody, anybody want to leave? Feel free to, to leave at any point you want. <laughs> what have you got? 
Go ahead. Thank you for listening to Paul Goff's audio experience. If you're brand new to Paul's world, head on over to paulsmarketingbook.com where you can get started with his number one best-selling marketing book for physical therapists. Or if you've been listening to the show for a while, you like what you hear and you think that you could benefit from this type of help to accelerate the growth and profitability of your practice, reach out to Paul's team at paul at paulgoff.com and tell us exactly what you're looking for. And by the way, if you know someone who would benefit from today's show, please share it with them. And if you've got any questions that you want answered, tweet Paul at the Paul Goff using the hashtag AskPG. You can also find all of these details over in today's show notes. All right, until next time, have a wonderful day.